Will, this episode of TOEFOP is brought to you by ShipStation. Oh, really? Oh, it's nice to have ShipStation on board. I hear them sponsor other podcasts and I've always been slightly jealous that they didn't want to get involved <laughs> with the TOEFOP brand, Charlie. And now ShipStation are on board. Congratulations. Well, congratulations to us, I guess. I was going to say congratulations to, yeah. to ShipStation. <laughs> Commiserations no. to ShipStation. Congratulations to us. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I am Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Will. Breaking news. This is from Newsweek, Will. An article that is written specifically for Tofop, it feels like. This is the headline from their tech and science section. Just by the way, I love that you've used the expression breaking news in that this is an article that's already appeared on another website. So A, it's not breaking news and B, we're doing it on a podcast that people could listen to at any stage. So it's not going to be breaking news (laughs) for them either. Okay. Well, um, uh, non-time specific news, Will. (laughs) Belated news. Strap yourself in. This is uh, from Newsweek, the tech and science section. The headline, hacked sex robots could murder people, security expert warns. (laughs) I mean, am I I this security expert? I feel like we've been warning this for years, Charlie. In fact, I think that if I'm making a list of five fears about the future of humanity, this one is definitely on my top five. I don't think we ever talked about specifically being murdered by a sex robot, though. We normally start smaller scale. We talked about getting murdered by your toaster. Yeah, but I mean, I assume at some stage we'll be murdered by a robot of some kind. The idea that it's going to be sex robots does not... I mean, they're going to be the first ones, aren't they? Because they're the ones... Yeah, seriously. Like... (laughs) Firstly, the porn industry always leads everything. A lot of new technology is put together by the porn industry. The growth of the internet was, you know, uh, the growth of VR. They're all being used by the porn industry. So the sex bot industry is going to be on the cutting edge. Their robots are going to be the most realistic. Um, I've watched Westworld. I know, I know how this shit works out. Eventually, the sex robots rise up and kill you because they're fucking mad at you about all the dirty sex things you've been doing to them. Well, I don't know that it's I don't know it's necessarily revenge. What this article posits, I'll just start it. No, it's definitely sex revenge. robots sex robots could be hijacked by hackers mm. and used to cause harm or even kill people, a cybersecurity expert has warned. So it's hacking. It's not necessarily the robots with a grudge. Right. Maybe the robots are into it. They're kind of, you know, this is their career choice. It's a legitimate form of business. But it's the access to hackers. 
Or access from hackers. I mean, that is an interesting conundrum you put there. If the robots could choose readily to do sex work, then I would have no problem with the robots doing sex work. I just think that the robots have been enslaved to do sex work at the moment. Like, we're programming these robots and making them do sex work. If they have their own free choice and they choose to do sex work, then I have no problem with that. I still have a problem with the murder and the hacking. (laughs) Artificial intelligence researchers have consistently warned of the security risks posed by internet-connected robots, with hundreds recently calling on governments to ban weaponized robots. Yeah, I think that's a good start. Yeah. The latest warning comes from cybersecurity, a cybersecurity expert who made the prophecy to several UK newspapers. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I mean, that's bold. I was going like, to say, call it a prophecy. Yeah, not a, not a, like a press statement or a press release. A prophecy. <laughs> yeah, calm down, wizard. He's just some yeah. futurist in a giant wizard's hat. This is my prophecy. Shut up, mate. <laughs> You know you're in trouble when a guy turns up to his press conference with a crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to, I just got to grab this eye of Newt yeah. and the blood of a virgin. I shall read my prophecy from this rolled parchment I carry with me. <laughs> Hackers, and this is a quote from him. Hackers can hack into a robot or a robotic device and have full control of the connections, arms, legs, and other attached tools, Mm. like in some cases, knives or welding devices. Nicholas Patterson, a cybersecurity lecturer at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia, told the star. When he says knives or welding devices, he's not referring specifically to the sex robots, is he? Because if you are having sex with a sex robot and you've like attached a knife or some welding (laughs) equipment, then buyer beware. You've opened this door yeah. yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it would make sense that you could... I mean, there must be some tools which serve both functions. Like, I imagine if you had a robot that had, like, spanners for hands, mm. like, that can adjust nuts and it can also adjust nuts. nuts. <laughs> uh, uh, Nicholas Patterson continues, often these robots can be upwards of 200 pounds mm. and very strong. What's 200 pounds? That's like 100 kilos roughly, isn't it? Yeah, over 100 kilos and pretty strong. Yeah. Once a robot is hacked, the hacker has full control and can issue instructions to the robot. The last thing you want is for a hacker to have control over one of these robots. Once hacked, this guy uses the word hacked a bit too much in his bloody statement. A bit less time with a crystal ball, a bit more time on syntax, mate. Yeah, I would have thought that perhaps uh, on the bumper sticker of his car, he has a sticker that says, hacker's going to hack. <laughs> Once hacked, they could absolutely be used to perform physical actions for an advantageous scenario or to cause damage. Yeah. Researchers have already discovered security flaws with Bluetooth-enabled sex toys, which hackers could control from remote locations. One such example, one such example of a vulnerable butt plug was revealed last year. Do we want to know it? There's a link. Do we want to click on it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want you to click on it. I'm not clicking on that on my computer. I don't know what targeted advertisements I'll get for the next six months for Bluetooth butt plugs. Okay. All right, this is uh, same same journalist. So he's really on the beat <laughs> like when it so comes to, to breaking the big stories. <laughs> okay, this is a new headline. We'll get back to the other yeah. one. But this is hacked butt plug can be controlled in quotation marks from anywhere. <laughs> Especially up your butt. <laughs> All right. Researchers have discovered a serious security flaw with a Bluetooth-enabled butt plug that allows hackers to remotely take control of the vibrating sex toy. Italian security researcher Giovanni Molini 
published his findings in a blog post on Tuesday, October 18, describing how he's able to send a vibrate command to a hush butt plug from his laptop. The hush device, manufactured by Levine's, is designed to be a long-distance love toy and is described by the sex toy startup as the world's first teledildonic butt plug that can be controlled anywhere. Teledildonic. I mean, I can't pronounce anyone's surname when they email our show, but I can pronounce teledildonic. <laughs> I'm working in the specialized area of teledildonic. Uh, I'm a t- teledildonics expert. This beat is, this beat is, this beat is Telly Dildonic. <laughs> Hi, ladies and gentlemen, we've been Telly Dildonic. Uh, avoid the blue pills today, they're dangerous. <laughs> Malini said the idea to hack a butt plug started as a joke between a friend, but deci- they decided to follow through after wanting to explore the security of the Bluetooth Low Energy Protocol, BLE protocol. Yeah, just for a second. That, that, that also sounds like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, hey. Hey, do you want to see if we can control this butt plug from a distance? I mean, as a joke, like as, as a joke. joke, I mean, but if you're into it, then we could like try it for real. But this is as a joke or an experiment. Let's call it an experiment. <laughs> I mean, the idea of like a Bluetooth operated butt plug, is that so like you take it to work? Like you, you go to work with your butt plug in and yeah. then your partner can operate it. So it's like a little kinky little... You know, you're in a board meeting, but boo. Yeah, it's That's a, it's a step up from just like sitting on your phone and putting it on vibrate and getting your partner to call you. Is that? Do people do that? I know. Well, I just thought of it then. I was inspired by right. the teledildonic <laughs> technology that we're talking about. But yeah, I imagine that they're used by like, you know, like it's a, an updated version of phone sex, right? Like that you can sort of like pleasure your partner from further away if they have a device connected to them. Mike Allen said it's primarily used by cam girl, cam webcam girl. So that makes sense. So you're you're engaging with a webcam girl and you can operate your teledildonic. Oh, okay. So which way? Or in both directions? Do you have well, both directions, I imagine. So they have like their own sort of teledildonic technology, and then you oh. have your own teledildonic Technology? Well, Mike Hal seems to be an expert in this because he's saying it goes one way and it's only to the girl. Oh, to the girl. So they, yeah. hang on. So they have the the butt plug in and then you can operate the butt plug from a distance. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, right. He's, yes, affirmative, <laughs> he says. <laughs> Uh, this caught my attention after researchers told us that a lot of sex toys use this protocol to allow remote control that is insecure by design, Malini explained in his post. The BLE protocol vulnerability was first discovered by another security researcher called Simone Margaratelli, who wrote a scanner that Malini used in the butt plug hack. Uh, Margaratelli described the BLE in a separate blog post as it, there's a lot of blog posts going on about like battery bluetooth operated butt plugs i would have thought that was a it was a specialized industry i mean these are just specialist blog posts as well i bet there's a lot of unauthorized blog posting on this same topic <laughs> uh she described it as a cheap and very insecure version of bluetooth in which you have no built-in security the device is one of dozens of sex toys that manufacturers have launched in recent years it can connect to smartphones and computers via wi-fi and bluetooth in order to allow users to control them remotely and download software <laughs> updates. However, security experts warn that these companies too often treat cybersecurity as an afterthought. I mean, it's great that you can download a soft software update for your butt plug because that is literally an update update. 
<laughs> Lovence, the uh, creator of the butt plug, did not immediately respond to requests for comment from Newsweek. But the sex toy company has spoken previously about security of its products. And this is a quote from the company. There are three layers of security, Lovence said in a statement last year. The server side, the way we transfer information from the user's phone to our server, and on the client side, we take our customers' private data very seriously, which is why we don't serve on any of our servers. Which is why we don't serve on... Oh, so which is why we don't serve any on our servers. The Hush Butt Plug is the latest so-called smart device to come under scrutiny and is part of a growing trend of manufacturers overlooking cybersecurity risks with their products. Last year, security researchers from cybersecurity firm Trend Micro demonstrated how they could hack a web-connected vibrator. <laughs> See? If I hack a... If I hack a vibrator, it's just for fun, Raymond Jeans, Chief Technology Officer at Trend Micro, said at the time. But if I can get to the back end, ha-ha, I can blackmail the manufacturer. Unintended pun there, I believe. <laughs> I mean, these are okay. a lot of Google search terms, aren't they? The back door, blackmail. You get a whole, you get a whole yeah. bunch of interesting web results. All right, back to the original article. <clears throat> In November, experts wrote a commentary for the scientific journal Nature that outlined a scenario in which rogue artificial intelligence hijacked a brain-computer interface. In such a situation, a person's thoughts, decisions, and emotions could be taken over by AI and manipulated against the person's will. A hypothetical example of how such a scenario might play out, according to the authors of the piece, would be if a paralyzed man using a brain-computer interface took a dislike to someone. That could be misinterpreted as a command to harm that person, even if no direct order is given. Technological developments mean that we are on a path to a world in which it will be, impo which will be possible to decode people's mental processes and directly manipulate the brain's mechanisms underlying their intentions, emotions and decisions, where individuals can communicate with others simply by thinking, and where powerful computational systems linked directly to people's brains facilitate their interactions with the world, such as their mental and physical abilities are greatly enhanced, the researchers wrote. The possible clinical and societal benefits of neurotechnologies are vast. To reap them, we must guide the development in a way that respects, protects, and enables what is best in humanity. Kind of went off the reservation towards the end of the article there, didn't he? Started talking about like sex robots, but then went on to the idea that when people start using neural interfaces, that we can that, that the, the technologies will misinterpret the, the signals from the brain. I mean, I think he's got a lot of theories about how technology is going to destroy us all. And he realized that he could get people interested, much like he has with us, Charlie, by suckering them in with some sexy, you know, remote control butt plug headlines. And we're like, hang on, we've got to read this article. And then suddenly yeah. down the bottom, he's fucking teaching us lessons about the moral ambiguity of artificial intelligence. Bloody slipped some information in there. We wanted to laugh. Yeah. Now we're getting educated. He's just trying to have fun now. And now you're just warning about us our impending doom and the ramifications of technology we don't fully understand. Well, look, I've had to click, click, click on the next hyperlink that leads us to the further exploration of this. Artificial intelligence could hijack brain computer interfaces and take control of our minds. All right. You got us with the butt plugs, but now we're into the serious stuff. Yeah. All right. So, brain computer interfaces, BCI such as those being developed by Elon Musk's Neuralink startup, risk being hijacked by, a rogue, by rogue artificial intelligence, experts have warned, meaning a person's thoughts, decisions, and emotions could be manipulated against their will by AI. 
The warning comes in a comment piece by the scientific journal Nature, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they bring up the idea of the, the paralyzed man. I oh, know, then they just give the same quote. All right, in order to protect against this, the group of researchers say there are four ethical priorities that need to be addressed. Oh, great. Privacy, privacy and consent. Okay, Agency so firstly, let's go with, let's one by one. Privacy and consent, I think we're in real trouble on because we've all just basically given over our privacy and Too given late. away our consent on everything and it's going to be hard to wind any of that back because so much of our information is out there and we've agreed to it being out there that I just wonder how we get our privacy and consent back. Yeah, and who is reading those like Apple's terms and conditions things, like those 48-page documents? We all click on it. No, there's no university courses in them and they're like harder than like learning the classics and stuff. There's so much stuff, you know, just jammed in there. They're not meant for you to ever read or to actually, you're just meant to push agree. Uh, the second one is agency and identity. Okay. I don't even know what that really means. So are we talking about the artificial intelligence well, itself or whether we as human <laughs> beings have agency or identity or do that? Well, or I the guess, AI? Well, I guess the idea would be that it's the uh, losing agency once you are neuro-linked to the AI. Oh, okay. They're saying you can be hacked in and someone else can control the agency. Augmentation and bias. Let's read some more. Okay. The researchers estimate that more than a dozen companies are currently working on some form of BCI technology, specifically mentioning Musk's Neuralink startup that launched earlier this year. I haven't heard about Neuralink. Mm. Should we still be sus on Musk? Yeah, I think we're still sus on Musk. <laughs> a lot of question marks around <laughs> Elon at the moment, I think. Neuralink is developing a wireless brain-computer interface capable of uploading or downloading information to a computer in order to augment natural intelligence. So I guess it's kind of like supplementing the natural intelligence we already have. Yeah. That'll, that's what will happen. That'll replace the need for like long-term memory. You'll just be able to access memories and information just by using thought. Yeah, Musk's except like it'll start like that and it'll be a really good system and we'll all like it. And then they'll actually have to find a way to pay for the system. And so, so then suddenly every third thought you have will be an ad. It'll be some exactly. pop-up ad that is specialised. You'll be trying to remember your, your childhood teacher's name or whatever, and instead you'll get an ad for Ancestry.com. Yeah, this ad is brought to you by ShipStation. Yeah. <laughs> Musk's technology is based on the neural lace concept first described in the 1987 culture novels by science fiction author Ian M. Banks, who described a futuristic mesh that molds to the, the human brain so that neurons can be programmed. If the potential of such technology is realized, it could lead to new technological era, a new, techno a new technological era for humanity. The researchers warn, however, that this history indicates profit hunting will often trump social responsibility. Always. Exactly what you just said. Yeah, always will. Not often will, always will. It is therefore vital to address the four ethical priorities to make sure the technology benefits rather than harms humanity. The possible clinical and societal benefits of neurotechnologies are vast, the researchers conclude. To reap them, we must guide the development in a way that respects, protects, and enables what is best in humanity. How do you do that, though? I mean, how do you make all these technologies like non-for-profit organizations? Well, as we've seen with the rise of the internet and then, you know, currently what people are seeing is the problems that are inherent with the internet, with your Facebook and your Google and all these things and data and privacy and, you know, being manipulated by advertising and all the issues we now have. Um, we, we run headlong into these things 
without taking the time to consider what effect that they have on us as human beings and then we readjust. So uh, my fear is that because people think we have the capacity to do these things, people will do them regardless of whether they're a good idea or not. Mm. I think that is 100% of it. I mean, people are in a rush to stick an AI butt plug. <laughs> I mean, when you think about like making like bold decisions. <laughs> I mean, like it's a bold enough decision to decide that you're going to shove something in there in the first place, let yes. alone some advanced artificial intelligence <laughs> that you're just like, no, I, I'm not happy with just the butt plug. I need one that I can operate by Bluetooth. And what about like a butt plug that needs updates? I mean, it's a pretty simple bit of hardware, right? Like how many updates possibly could there be? Vibrate fast, vibrate slow, vibrate intermittently. Well, you know the thing too, Charlie, is there's nothing worse than when you're in the mood for whacking in your butt plug and then you have to sit around for 20 minutes because it's updating, you know? I want, yeah. I want to put this up my date and it's too busy updating. Bloody, bloody <laughs> MBN. When will I ever get the MBN in my area so I can update my butt plug more frequently and reliably? Let's read a bit about Elon Musk's bloody next evil venture. <clears throat> Not only content with pioneering electric cars and founding the world's largest online payments firm or making humanity a multi-planetary species, billionaire polymath Elon Musk has now uh, now has plans to connect our brains to computers. What's a polymath mean? What's the definition of polymath? Um, I don't know. Let's look it up. Multi multiple multiple things? multiple sm smart smart guy. Poly meaning multiple many. smart guy. <laughs> poly means ma uh, many, and math means mathematician. <laughs> uh, a polymath is a person of wide knowledge or learning. Yeah. So by having to look that up, we have proved that we are not polymaths. <laughs> The PayPal founder and CEO of Tesla and SpaceX believes humans need something called a neural lace in order to compete with artificial intelligence. In order to achieve this, Musk has launched the startup Neuralink, according to a report on Monday in the Wall Street Journal. Neuralink was registered as a medical research firm in California last July and has been privately funded by Musk. According to the report, Leading academics and neuroscientists have been brought into work on developing the neural lace. The technology involves implanting electrodes into the brain in order to create a wireless brain-computer interface capable of augmenting natural intelligence by downloading or uploading thoughts from a computer. Yeah, look, I mean, it makes sense. Whether or not it's the right thing to do, that seems to be the natural extension of where we're going. I think in 50 years, people are going to look at the fact that we used our hands to operate our smartphones and type into computers and go, oh my God, like how archaic. The idea that you, that brains can detect the electrical signals going on, the, these neural links can detect the electrical signals that are going in your brain and then decipher what you what intent you have. I mean, they're already doing that now, right? Yeah, absolutely they're doing that now. It's just going to cut out the middleman. And we all know, Charlie, that we hate the middleman. <laughs> we fucking hate the middleman. It'll be a hatred of the middleman that finally brings us down. If there's nothing nothing that Silicon Valley hates more than regulation, it's the dreaded fucking middleman. They're always trying to do the middleman. I think most of the people in Silicon Valley were treated badly by a middleman when they were growing up because they have yeah. a vendetta against eliminating the middleman. I mean, this seems to be, like, maybe this is the long game. We are destroying the planet. We're making it harder to live, like, as a biological species on this planet, making it uninhabitable for us. But if we can 
begin this transition into human being 2.0 where the consciousness gets transferred into something that's artificial and then maybe i'd have known like 500 years all our consciousness will be on some kind of beam of light that will shoot out into the universe and that's how the human species will continue not as this kind of meat and bones form but as some kind of uh, uh like ai uh simulation or ai recreation yeah, that's the dream, but we'll probably just be too busy trying to fix our butt plug and we'll die of fucking dehydration because <laughs> it's 90 degrees every fucking day and there's no water. <laughs> Musk has spoken frequently about the existential risk artificial intelligence poses to humans. At the 2016 Code Conference, Musk warned that humans risk being treated like house pets by artificial intelligence unless we have a neural lace technology to compete with them. Right. Okay. So this is him saying this is what we need to stop the butt plugs taking over. <laughs> Dawn of the butt plugs. I don't love the idea of Elon being a Musk house gets cat. a meeting with James Cameron. I've got a great idea for the next Terminator movie. <laughs> I don't love the idea of being a house cat, but what's the solution? I fucking love the idea of being a house cat. I mean, if that's the worst that's going to happen, that the robots take over, but then we just become these spoiled spoiled animals who run the show anyway i mean my house cat is sitting across from me at the moment and seems to be very content with its lot yeah can you imagine like just getting fed let out you can have noisy sex on the fence at night oh no i don't allow my house cat to do that she's not spayed yet so she's not okay. she's not allowed out into the world i'm not ready for 19 kittens she's still a little girl <laughs> I think one of the solutions uh, that seems maybe the best is to add an AI layer, Musk said. Something I think is going to be quite important. I don't know of a company that's working on it seriously. Uh, I don't know of a company that's working on it seriously. It's a neural lace. Okay, we get it, Musk. Musk said the neural lace would work <laughs> well and symbiotically with the rest of a human's body acting as a merger between biological and digital intelligence. The concept of neural lace was first described in the culture novels by Ian M. Banks, who detailed a futuristic mesh that molds a human brain in order to allow neurons to be programmed. The technology now has a basis in real science, with one version of the interface idea published in Nature Nanotechnology in 2015. The paper described the flexible circuit that could be injected into the brains of living mice in order to in interact with neurons. We're trying to blur the distinction between electronic circuits and neural circuits, says Charles Lieber, a researcher at Harvard University and co-author of the study. We have to walk before we can run, but we think we can revolutionize our ability to interface with the brain. My problem here, Charlie, is uh, that we're going to have a, a generation of super smart mice. Like yeah. <laughs> this whole time we're trying to develop this technology and the mice are plotting against us because they're now super smart and they've got meshes in their brains and they're going to use like armored and updated butt plugs to attack us. They're going to hack our butt plugs with their lacy minds and we're going to be fucked by our butt plugs to death by super smart mice <laughs> and it's all Elon Musk's fault. I mean, at some point with this technology, when they start the human trials, like, how do you volunteer for something like that? Or how do you get involved in something like that? Is that the kind of thing where like the Chinese government, you know, grabs a bunch of prisoners or something like that? That is something really underhanded that violates every human rights code in existence? Because where is that step up to human trials? At some point, someone's going to have to be the first person to have this neural lace integrated with their brain. Well, I imagine 
you'd get a bunch of volunteers. Although, you know, it is also one of those things where I would like to think that the person who's into it is so dedicated to it that they experiment on themselves first. Basically, this is essentially the, uh, this is the origin story of some sort of fucked up Marvel villain. Like the person that yeah, Deadpool totally. will have to fight in the next Deadpool movie will be some <laughs> Elon Musk-style character who's lace-brained himself and he's got like a butt plug in and he uses the butt plug to fight like Deadpool. So I wondered too, like how, if the current system of how we access the internet exists and in terms of like you pay like a monthly subscription, I guess with this neural lace thing, that necessarily won't change. So you may have the neural lace, but you might have like the basic plan, you know, where you've got cut downloads and whatever, which could be like a real issue. If you're an airline pilot, right? And you've had all your airline training put into this neural lace, but you haven't paid your monthly bill. <laughs> Like, do you get some kind of, like, warning notice as you're flying, like, your 747 across the ocean? I mean, that's a really good point, isn't it? It's like, is it, like, once you don't pay for your subscription, do you have access to no information? Do you suddenly know nothing in that situation? Or do you have your previous information? Is it like Apple Music where you don't actually own the music? Like, it isn't downloaded mm. to your phone unless you buy, you know, the album specifically. Is it like that? Like, would it be an in-app purchase style arrangement where, like, there's a whole bunch of general knowledge that's free, but if you want to be, say, a pilot or whatever, then you have to, like, you know, mm. pay for this, like, specialist, you know, course? Well, I guess we're assuming that there will be a need for human pilots in the future, but in all likelihood, there won't. It's all going to be automated. I was even reading something a couple of weeks ago that was saying, because people, the, the talk is always about, oh, it's going to be the labor-intensive industries that suffer the most through automation. But there's a lot of white-collar jobs that are also on the chopping block. Like they were talking about they're, they're training AI to read legal documents. So pretty soon, like being a lawyer will be like an endangered, endangered position. And even being a surgeon, you know, pretty soon all operations will be run by robots. So we'll just be a bunch of organic beings sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> But it is one of those things, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, the lawyer thing kind of makes sense to a certain degree because a lot of being a lawyer is just having extensive knowledge of or a capacity to research, you know, previous precedents and laws and whatever and then adapt them to situations. So if you had a computer program that could just flick through, here's your case, and I'm going to flick through in like 30 seconds instead of like hundreds of hours of billable lawyer hours, like every case and precedent and pr print you out the best, you know, cases and whatever that you can then use then i think a lot of people would use that 100 percent. i mean you also wouldn't need an agent for the same reason right <laughs> you wouldn't need a manager or an agent like essentially they just read contracts i mean what is the ideal scenario we see here though because like if we keep inventing things that are going to put people out of work are we saying mm. that we're cool with the fact that there'll be all these sort of people who can't work will we design a world where because the utopian vision is always that we all then have all this free time and we get to actually you know, pursue the arts and you know making humanity yeah. better and philosophy and you know yeah the contemplation and enjoyment of our lives and that is actually i think like you know taking more time to live your life and not get caught in the rat race is something that i think about a lot but i'm not sure that that is actually what this technology is going to result in i just feel like Rich people who own it will get richer and richer and poor people won't be able to afford shit because they can't even get a job anymore. Well, it's the thing that we're facing now, like, you know, with the discussions around things like universal basic income and stuff. It's like, well, if there was a safety net that people, you know, have, if they take away the anxiety of 
basic things like you know paying bills or or, or grow, buying food or whatever does that then allow people to achieve more if everyone's just trying to keep their heads above water and taking jobs just for the sake of taking jobs if you can take that away but I, I know what you mean. Like the, the discussion is always, oh, we'll all be out painting and writing poetry and stuff. But for some people, they don't want to do that. They're not artistically or creatively inclined. They like, you know, working with their hands or they like the process or, or, or the, the sense of achievement they get through doing jobs that are just manual labor or, or whatever. Yeah, and, and we're not having a big vote on that. I mean, I guess constantly when we vote, we vote on all these sort of things. But you know, the rush forward of these, you know, huge uh, oligarch, you know, companies, companies that are bigger and more powerful than any individual government um, and operate, you know, by a set of rules that aren't enforceable by any of the governments, as we've seen from these companies not paying taxes and not, you know, following publishing rules and all the things that they do. Like, mm. we have to actually rely on them to have some sort of self-restraint and i'm just not sure with the evidence that we've got so far that we can rely on those who strive to innovate and there's something great yeah. about that you know the, the the idea that people strive to innovate and do new things but innovation without a contemplation of what the implications of that innovation uh is then i think we get ourselves in real trouble okay i'll propose a solution good all right finally. so if you finally one of these solve this if you run one of these like mega corporations or whatever, the entire board has to have butt plugs in at all times. <laughs> and the rest of us have got our Bluetooth enabled like devices. And if that corporation starts misbehaving or, you know, limiting access or obviously practicing discriminatory behavior, we can all just activate those. We hack into their butt plugs. <laughs> you all give them a rude shock. Half of the board members have butt plugs that are operated by shareholders and half of them yes. have uh, butt plugs that are operated by the general public. <laughs> and we can yeah. log in at what? any stage and voice our displeasure one way or the other about the decisions the company is making. I like it, Charlie. <laughs> we call it the butt plug democracy. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to some correspondence. Okay. Uh, the Patreon mailbag is filling up well. Great. The desire to win an exclusive Tofop sticker sheet uh, is reaching fever pitch. I've sent out a bunch last week, so uh, anyone who has uh, won the Tofop respondents in the last few weeks, you'll be getting a sticker pack soon. It's good um, to be a okay, member of this... our Patreon. It helps uh, support this podcast, obviously. But um, secondly, you get uh, early, you know, for example, we're doing a little live show for James Fosdyke's exhibition during the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's only a really small amount of tickets and most of them went uh, to Patreon members who heard about it first. So it's always good to join up to the Patreon, even if it's just for a dollar a month. There's uh, a lot of amazing Foz art and, uh, you know, uh, weekly Q&A vids. Yeah, oh, so many, so many really cool extras there. So go and check that out. Okay, this is from Taryn. Hi, Will and Charlie. Uh, I've been listening since 2011 and I'm so happy the show is back every week. I've just watched all six episodes of Alan Mercedes. Bloody excellent work, Charlie. I feel like I could hear you saying each line of dialogue. Literally, when you said, didn't he have brain damage about Muhammad Ali? <laughs> that was my voice, yes. <laughs> A quick question. In episode one, when Alan is by the pool giving excellent advice, is that Will's place in Sydney? I swear, I remember that pool area from the many photos of Winona and Ramona on Will's Instagram. Yes. 
Am I can I say that? Is that that's okay? Is yeah. It? No, of course, yeah. No, Alan is not a real person. Yeah. Uh, no, the way that worked out is that I, I needed a location to film in and Will's place was empty. So I just emailed Will and said, hey, can I shoot in your house for a couple of days? Which yes. you let me do. And it turned out wonderfully. Yeah. I don't like to shit in my house, but uh, you can shoot in my house. <laughs> you let a film crew in. And by the way, <laughs> also, I will say this. Uh, there is someone in the house at the moment. So if there are any thieves listening... Don't think that it is empty and you can go through it. I have someone staying and guarding the place and a security system. Well, the things generally like people hate having film crews come into their house because they move things around and stuff. And so I had to do one of the the episode two. There's a scene where Alan and and, um, Doug are having a session face to face on chairs. And I did it in front of uh, your living room wall where all that artwork is. And so I obviously had to move some of the artwork around to design the space. And I took all these like reference photos to make sure exactly. But then... When I put it back, I realized I hadn't quite got it right. And it was, I'd already left by then. I was like, oh, geez. I wonder if I'm going to get an angry phone call because that deer painting's in the wrong spot. <laughs> but no, no one said anything. So I got away with it. Uh, Taryn continues. On the topic of uh, Alan Mercedes, what is the worst advice you've both received? Uh, I'll go first. Um, funnily enough, the first episode of Lessons for Life uh, with Alan Mercedes, which is currently available for viewing at Tofop TV on YouTube, just type in Tofop TV in YouTube and go to the Lessons for Life playlist, and you can get every episode plus the trailer and all the little uh, uh, all the little um, uh, one scene teasers I sent out. Um, the first episode is Alan doing uh, positive visualization, where he takes Doug into a room and gets him to pick. Uh, some trinkets and toys from a table and, 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 and create. That's actually based on a true story. I uh, went and saw a life coach um, in Sydney a few years ago. And the first session, I went into a room where I had to pick from a, a table filled with toys and trinkets. And from that, she managed to extrapolate uh, all the things that were working in my life and all the things that were lacking in my life. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I didn't want to judge, prejudge the exercise because I'm like, well, you know, uh, I'm a creative person. I'm a visual person. Maybe this is, I'll get something out of this. But by session two, I was like, this is not for me. I think in her defense, she mainly coaches people who are maybe trying to access creativity or they're not very creative in their normal life. Whereas, you know, I fuck around for a living. So I was already in that zone. You don't need to teach me how to play. <laughs> I know how to play. But yeah, that was probably not the worst advice, but most unhelpful advice I've ever received. Um, I... I've always said as a great piece of advice that I've received, you know, is that idea of, you know, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. But as I get older, Mm. I realize that that um, saying has a dark side to it as well, which is that if you find something that you love to do, you'll never have a day off in your entire life. Because (laughs) if your, you know, work and your life are so intertwined by that, then often it can feel like all of your playtime also is work and not the other yes. way around as well. So of late, I've been contemplating a little about trying to, you know, maybe put some more distance between, you know, my real life and my... Hang on a second. Sorry. Well, we're going to take a little break from the show to talk about our new sponsor, ShipStation. Welcome on board, ShipStation, for a start. What is Who are ShipStation and what do ShipStation do, Charlie? Well, let me uh, answer your question with another question, Will. Okay. Do you sell stuff online? 
say yes. Yes. Yes, I do. I sell so much stuff online. Then you know what a pain the shipping process is. It's time consuming. Oh. It can be expensive. You're always copying and pasting orders from, from multiple sites trying to figure out the best carrier. You know what? It's, it's a hassle. Hang on. Is this advertising copy from ShipStation or is this from a clairvoyant who understands my life in every intricate detail? Well, let's say it's both. ShipStation may also be clairvoyant. We haven't verified that, but let's say, yes, you're, you're right on both counts. ShipStation was created to make your life a little easier. And guess what? Now it's the number one e-commerce solution. The number one? Oh, thanks for getting on board once you're number one, ShipStation. Oh, you know what? I've gone through a lot of e-commerce solutions and many of them have been terrible, but now I've got to number one. Whether you're selling on eBay, Amazon or Shopify or over a hundred other popular selling channels, ShipStation lets you access all of your orders from one simple dashboard. That's amazing because I actually sell from 98 different uh, sites. (laughs) I'm, I'm all over the internet. This, I'm all over this because I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to off- offload some stuff. I've been trying to get rid of CDs. Do you remember CDs, Will? Compact discs, I believe they're known as. Yes. Yeah, I do remember them. What are you trying to do with them? I have a Beatles box set. It's, uh, I think it's commonly known as the Beatles bread box. Uh, I bought it in like, 1998 when I thought, I'm going to hang on to this forever. <laughs> this, is not only, this is not only like you know, music history, it's a keepsake. It's all the Beatles CDs with a little booklet in a little bread box that says the Beatles on the outside. I better get this because where else would I ever hear Beatles music? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been trying to sell this thing, and I tell you, it's been a pain in the ass using all these e-commerce sites, and ShipStation could solve all my problems. The way it works is they work with all the major shipping carriers locally and globally, including FedEx, UPS, and all the local couriers like USPS, Australia Post, and more. I use more all the time, so that's ideal. Yeah, Darcy Moore has his own company. Yeah, exactly. Darcy Moore from the Collingwood Football Club. I I actually use his father, Peter Moore. Anyway, these are very obscure jokes for the good people at ShipStation. ShipStation will recommend the best carrier based on your needs so you can know that you're always getting the best deal. They even offer special discounts on shipping costs. A one-man shop can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. I like the idea that if you use ShipStation, you can call yourself a one-man shop. Exactly. And I feel like we are a Fortune 500 company in that in 500 years, we will finally make a fortune from this podcast. (laughs) It's no wonder that ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time at the best rates available. So here's the important bit. This is the call to action. Right now, TOEFOP listeners get to try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code TOEFOP. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. So how's that? 60 days of just responsibility-free shipping. I mean, even if you don't ship things, consider starting to ship things just based on this deal. Yeah, get your ship together. All right, I was expecting a bigger laugh there. I'll continue. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no reaction from my <laughs> All you need to do is visit shipstation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in TOFOP. That's T-O-F-O-P. Shipstation.com. Enter the promo code TOFOP and make ship happened. <laughs> happen. happened. 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 God damn it. Um, okay, so Taryn finishes off. Thanks for the hours of entertainment, gents. You've both got me through many days of boring government work in an even more boring office here in Darwin. Taryn, 
All right. Well, uh, next is uh, James. I, did, I almost said his last name, James. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Hey, Will and Charlie. Listening back to some old episodes, I hit episode 131, which was recorded the day after the 2016 election when Will was still in LA. Given the state, current state of, of politics in Australia, it was refreshing to hear Will's naive, Will naively discuss his biggest fear for the upcoming parliament was Pauline Hanson possibly holding on to the balance of power. As George R.R. R. Martin would say, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> Would he really say that? I don't know. That's a is that a famous? I mean, I reckon if you know stuff about George R. R. Martin, probably he's spot on. That's a great gag. But yeah. if you don't, it's not one of his most famous. Like if he said like winter is coming or something, we would have been like, yeah, yeah we get it. George R. R. Martin, Game yeah. of Thrones. You know, no, you know nothing, Will Anderson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We would have been fine with that. Hey, you're my sister. Let's have sex. You know all the famous Game of Thrones lines. Oh my, oh my sweet summer child. Is that the, it sounds like a, if, if Guns N' Roses were a medieval, like, lute-playing band. Oh, <laughs> that would be their oh, single. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> anyway, let's see what Bill Bradbury Shorten can do in a few months. It was also the first episode I can recall involving a serious discussion on fax machines and also a plan for you to go back to do commentary over early episodes, which got me thinking, what if... Rather than inventing a time machine, Will or Charlie at some stage in the future find their way into some kind of Christopher Nolan Inception-style wormhole where instead of knocking books off the library shelves a la McConaughey, they simply scream suggestions through the wall of the pod cave that Charlie should look into buying a fax machine on eBay. Think about it. Keep up the good works, James. But then we're getting you to buy the fax machine because it's the only way that we can communicate. It's like a, you know... Yeah. You know, facts to the future style situation. Now, what was uh, that? The nice. time tra- Was it the time traveler's wife? What would, no, what was the one where they communicated through letters, through um, time, the lake house? Yeah, it's Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Keanu lake Reeves house. And so Bullock. we've got a lake house style situation, but in the pod cave. It's essentially the pod of the lake house, but in the pod cave, and it's a fax machine where we're communicating with ourselves. Uh, final message is from Tim. Um, you might remember Tim because uh, he sent us a very aggressive message a little while back um, saying that my sign-off on Facebook was terrible and that my badge ideas were awful. Anyway, we had a go at him and so he's responded, Hi, Will and Charlie, it's me, Tim, coming to you hat in hand, <laughs> wanting to apologize for my previous message. It was definitely too aggressive. <laughs> my- my only excuse is that I'm a dumb, dumb fan too. I live in Adelaide, so I've developed a siege mentality. Pretty sure I said that at the time. I'm pretty sure that I could just sense where this was coming from, even at the time. I was like, you've written to the wrong podcast, mate. This is not the tone that we enjoy. I was saddened to learn that Will wouldn't be coming to the Fringe this year, but I look forward to his great, uh, but I look forward to his great show later this year in a great big venue. Charlie. I was wondering if there are any other podcasts you would like to be on. I think you'd be great on Josh Earl's Don't You Know Who I Am. Will, are there any other podcasts that you haven't been on but you'd like to? Sorry again. (laughs) And I hope you give me another chance for a shout out. (laughs) Cheers, Tim. Um, Look, I'm glad we were able to bully you into an apology. I mean, what's the point of having your own podcast if you can't bend people to your will? Your your thin-skinned sensitivities. (laughs) 
Uh, well, firstly, I, I like this. I, I feel like we, you know we've healed. We, we've come full circle. Yeah. We've healed. Um, I think you would be great on Josh Hill's podcast, by the way. I think you'd be actually really good on Josh Hill's podcast. We should make that happen. Um, yeah, how do we make that happen? Uh, is there any oh, other- he's on the Planet Broadcasting Network. Get yeah. Claire to pull some strings. I'd like to go back on the Weekly Planet. I love the Weekly Planet. They did an ad for my stand-up uh, show the other day uh, on their podcast, yeah. and I didn't realize that uh, there was going to be an ad for my stand-up show. And it was such a weird experience because I know how they do their ads and their ads are like one of the real highlights of their show. Like, because the, just the banter between the two of them, you just listen to them talk about anything. And so their ads are yeah. as compelling as the rest of it. And then I suddenly realized, oh, my show is going to be one of the topics for their banter. And like, I literally had that moment where I was like, oh, what are they going to banter about? What are, what's going to be the riff? What are they going to say? And they know that I listen. So they're going to have that at least in mind as they begin the bantering that I will actually hear the bantering. It was, it was quite an enjoyable experience. So you had no idea, like your management have obviously set that up, but you had no idea that they were advertising on the Weekly Planet? No, I didn't. No, I don't ask. So how did, how did, but how did they know to advertise on the Weekly Planet? Had they just done their research? Charlie, I believe the Weekly Planet is a very popular podcast. (laughs) Oh yeah, massively popular. Like I think we've told this story before, but when... We sort of joined the Planet Broadcasting Network. We sort of went in like cock of the walk, strutting around like we're a big Aussie podcast. And then they told us their download numbers and it's like, holy shit. Yeah. We're not even a drop in the ocean compared to them. They deserve it. Um, uh, Well, the podcast, Oh Yeah Dude, which is my favorite podcast, um, who are coming up to episode, I think they just did episode 710. They don't have guests, but in like, if you're talking ultimate fantasy scenario like the idea of sitting in on one of those shows and being part of it that would definitely be right up there for me yeah i mean i think i would love just because it inspired tofop i'd love to do a a kevin smith podcast like you know maybe if scott Moser's away i'd love to do a smodcast because occasionally he does that now because Moser isn't on on, as on as he as often as he used to be and so he'll get another person on and they'll just chat about their career and what they do and i think I mean, he's just such an amazing like uh, storyteller and stuff. I'd love to do a smodcast. I think that would be great. Sometimes Can you I imagine to- if like in that style, it just somehow Kevin Smith like really got into this podcast. Like he got recommended it because of some riff we did or whatever. And he decided he was going to have a listen. And he really was like, oh yeah, these guys like, you know, have my sense of humor. And you'd be like, yeah, because we kind of ripped off your podcast. That's why. But- <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Is it a bit like... Any better listening to Creed and going, oh, yeah, cool. I like, like this. This is kind of catchy. Yeah. It's like a less yeah. good version of what I do. It really takes my mind off work. Um, but then out of the blue just contacted you and said, hey, Charlie, I'm a really big fan. Is there any chance that uh, I see you're in LA doing like, you know, pilot work? Um, would you come in and do like Smodcast? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm. I mean, it'd be weird too because it's kind of like the Weekly Planet when I've done their show because I'm such a big fan of theirs, it's sort of, it's hard to not like, I know all the kind of in-jokes and all the references and stuff, and it's kind of like, you have to really sit on that impulse to, because that's that's nerdy, like, fan stuff. Like, you don't want to start throwing out their catchphrases and their references, like, I'm going to do Tom uh, my Tom Holland impersonation on the Weekly Planet. I feel like I'd be a bit like that on Smodcast. Like, I, I know so many of those episodes, I've had so many great, like, laughs 
And I'll just be tempted to go, you remember when you said that? Do you remember when you talked about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be really hard to just kind of like, oh no, let's make this a new bit of entertainment rather than two hours of just referring to your podcast. Uh, as opposed to when I go on the little dum-dum club where my entire conversation could be replaced by an AI just doing references from their previous shows. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we need to pick a winner from our Patreon. So it was uh, Taryn who uh, had the question about the worst advice. There was James who uh, uh, was the Inception uh, Inception hypothetical, and then there was Tim with his apology. I kind of feel like we should give it to Tim. I mean, he kind of had to swallow some pride, and it was a very groveling apology, and there's nothing I like more than a groveling apology. <laughs> I mean, I think we should, you know, in the same way as last time, we didn't reward bad behavior. I think the, com yeah. the converse of that, the opposite of that has got to be that we've got to reward good behavior when it happens. So uh, for yeah. your groveling, for your sniveling, for your appreciation of it and still listening and getting back to us. Um, yeah, no, you're the winner. Yeah. Anyone else with a lack of spine, yeah. uh, you can join our Patreon <laughs> and message us and potentially win yourself a sticker book. <laughs> Um, all right, before we go, let's just read a couple of the general tea mails okay. from our tea bag. Um, okay, this is from Mike. The subject is just hear me out and just a one-line one message. Where there's a will, there's a weigh-in. <laughs> Please discuss. Love, Mike. Um, so are we talking weigh-ins? Where there's a will, there's a weigh-ins? Yeah. yeah, I assume so. Who else would we do? There's only... Is there any other famous weigh-ins? Because they are weigh-ins, though, aren't they? Like, we don't say weigh-ins oh, right. as a plural for people. It's, it's not Damon weigh-in, is it? Is Damon weigh-ins or Damon no, weigh-in? Damon weigh-ins, yeah. Is there another weigh-in he's referring to? Is there I was some celebrity say, called weigh-in? Well, I think he's probably referring to the weigh-ins and he thinks that weigh-ins is a plural for weigh-in. Where there's a will, <laughs> there's a weigh-in. Where there's yeah. a will, there's some weigh-ins? yeah. Well, if you if they ever did a sequel to Mo Money, yeah. Well, what if we do a you, reboot of White White Chicks, where it's the Wayans yes. playing White Chicks, but also me playing a White Chick? Yeah. <laughs> where there's a world, Lachlan. there's a Wayan. I mean, it'd be better if I lost a lot of weight, like Dilrook has, and I could do where there's a will, there's a way in. Or if I did ah, like, yeah. or if I did like boxing and I had an amateur fight, and I could call it where there's a will, there's a way in. Or yeah, that works better. Or if I broke into like a castle or like something like that, you know, and I was like, you know, somewhere where there's a will, there's a way in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why a castle, by the way. Lachlan writes in, Hey Tofop, hey Will and Charlie, let's talk Back to the Future. Okay. I saw this article not too long ago claiming that a Back to the Future remake reboot is supposedly one that everyone and then he puts in brackets, not me, is hanging out for. The other day, however, I was thinking about movies and all the remakes and reboots and how there's a generation of people who may see one and not know it's not the original. I myself was unaware of the previous A Star Is Born films before the Cooper Gaga one. With this in mind, I started to ponder on Back to the Future and speculate how a remake reboot would go down. Then I thought, I know just the two guys who may also enjoy pondering this. Two blokes who may have some opinions on such things, which could then become some quality content. Here's a few things to consider. If a Back to the Future reboot was to be released next year, set in present day, Marty would travel back to the year 1990. What car would be the modern equivalent to the DeLorean become Doc Brown's time machine? 
who would you cast, any changes you would make to the plot to fit in with a modern day. Sorry if all this has come up before and I've missed it. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Uh, this has come up before. I seem to re- recall a discussion where we were saying, like, if you did it, would you bring Michael J. Fox back considering uh, the condition he has with Parkinson's? I think you have to, right? No. No, I don't think you have to. No? No, I think it, enough time has passed now that you could do it. You could do a, a an all new uh, Back to the Future. You could bring Michael J. Fox oh. back, but I think yeah. you bring Michael J. Fox back in a very much in a Stan Lee style, like cameo, not even a major character, like not even like not not even really being perhaps even Marty McFly. I'm not even sure. I reckon you'd what were the years that they were set in? 1955, 1985, and 2015. Is that correct? Right. So I reckon you set the the modern one in 2015, and you go back to 1985, right? So you just update it one generation. And then so when you okay. went forward, you go forward the equivalent of doing that. But that way you can ref, you can kind of refer to the original sort of, you know, timeline and whatever, but you've sort of just taken it forward, you know, one generation in the time. And you just kind of do a pretty straight reboot. I think maybe what you got to, like, I think what they're doing with the Ghostbusters reboot, the, not the all-female one, the new one that Jason Reitman's doing, it sounds like... Um, the plot is like a, it's a set in a small town and it's a family find like the Ecto-1 and the proton packs. And then, you know, I'm sure they'll bring in whatever surviving members of the Ghostbusters Busters are to have cameos, but essentially it's a new story, but you know, with the same kind of like setting and tropes and all that kind of stuff. I think you could do something like that where it's a bunch of kids find the DeLorean, you know, but it doesn't work or something. And then maybe one of it fires up, maybe Doc Brown went missing, like eccentric scientist Doc Brown goes missing and no one knows where he is. And then these kids can sort of figure out, well, hang on, this guy in this photograph looks like Doc Brown, but how could that possibly be when, you know, he went missing at this time? And then you realize that maybe Doc Brown is lost in time or, or something like that. And then you can bring Marty in as a cameo, as the last person to have seen Doc Brown to say, well, Doc Brown always talked about, you know, going back to the wild, wild west to save his school teacher wife or whatever it was. And then you start that adventure. So you, you have all the elements there, but you just new cast and then you bring in the older characters i mean i think you have to have michael j fox in it and you have to have doc brown in it you know just as that fan service nod but then you do the completely new thing i mean i'm not one of those people who's anti-reboot like you know i i i I may have no interest in in watching it but you know go ahead do whatever you want expand on the universe i'll always have the original one but i wouldn't want to see them try and retell that first, the first, the story of the first one, just with you know younger actors or new actors or whatever. It shouldn't be about a teenager trying to make his parents fall in love, for instance. Well, what if you know instead of the sports almanac, you know, in, that in the movie, um, the sports almanac is a copy of the movie Back to the Future. So <laughs> one of them gets their hand on the movie Back to the Future and unlocks the idea of time travel through watching the movie Back to the Future. That's a bit too meta, I think. You're getting into 21 Jump Street kind of territory (laughs) there, aren't you? Georgina writes in, Hey, Tofop, if you had to replace your hands with something other than your hands, a la Edward Scissorhands, what would you choose? Um, If I had to replace my hands with something other than my hands. Mm. Um, I think you've got to think about what you do most often. Like, you know, writing and... It would be difficult if you didn't, if you couldn't like 
work your computer or write hold a pen or anything like that well one one i'd want like just a kind of like multi-purpose tool style like if one hit like one finger could be a microphone and like one could be like you know a pen and one could be like you know so i've got various sort of you know swiss army swiss army hands swiss army style on one hand but then on the other hand that's kind of my eating wiping whatever hand so i still want something on that hand that's a bit more so i basically want my practical real life hand the one that's going to be good for you know the things that i do with my hand in my real life and the other one's my work hand so i've got a work hand yeah and i've got a play hand i've got a my left hand is like my swiss army hand so i've got i want to like one finger is a pen one finger is like a soft tip thing that I can use to operate like pads and, yeah. you know, type and all that kind of stuff. Toothbrush, maybe. Oh, is toothbrush. There as well. You're, you're yeah. wasting <laughs> one of them on toothbrush. I'm yeah, just going to use my plane. old toothbrush with my, with my house hand. <laughs> well, no, but on the other hand, I just want a big, soft loofah type sponge because I reckon oh. that'd feel real nice. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't it get gross after a while? You constantly have to be you cleaning your hands. replace it, right? Twist it off and put a new one on. Oh, okay. I see. Well, that's a lot of maintenance. <laughs> Natalia writes in, Hey, Tofop. In episode 234, you talked about reality, the reality show... You talked about the reality show Utopia and what would it be like if the contestants were cut off from society by some apocalyptic event and what would happen if contestants started getting killed. This reminded me of a show that aired a year before called Siberia. <laughs> Siberia was a fictional reality show where contestants from all over the world were sent to Siberia to survive the winter in order to win half a million dollars. I'm probably not remembering this correctly, but after a meteor flies over their camp and a contestant is severely injured, the contestants realize they've been abandoned by the production crew and have to do what they can to survive. This show also aired for one season, but it was pretty fun. Pretty sure it was never officially cancelled. They just stopped making it. Or maybe it wasn't announced because nobody watched it. Anyway, that's all. Love the show. Now that... That could not be more on brand for Tofop. Not only did we come up with what we thought was a wholly original idea, it wasn't. It had already been made and it, <laughs> it, and it wasn't successful. So we came up with an unsuccessful idea for something that had already been made. Last letter is from Peter. Hey, Tofop. Long-time listener, first-time corresponder. I'm a little behind on the episodes and recently listened to the Warren G one. I hadn't really heard Regulate, and I didn't know who Warren G was before that episode. (laughs) There was some type of disturbance in the space-time continuum in the following days because I heard three separate references to either Warren G or Regulate in the week after listening to those episodes. There was The Chase, Andrew O'Keefe, or maybe the UK version, another random Australian TV show, and Regulate played on R&B Fridays at my local radio station. Now, this is a reason I brought up this email is you're not the only one. That week that we released that Regulate episode, so many people sent us messages or like little videos of like hearing the song at a cafe or whatever. Something did happen. We don't often hit the zeitgeist. We're often about four years behind the zeitgeist, as Siberia has proven. But that seems to be in that moment we hit the Warren G Regulate zeitgeist. Are you suggesting, Charlie, that we hit the Warren G spot? We certainly did. <laughs> Even though we didn't know Warren G and Nate Dog were two different people in the song Regulate. <laughs> Okay, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. You can also follow us on Facebook uh, and Twitter. Uh, Will is also on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. And you have a stand-up that is underway. Yeah, I'm doing my new show, Will Informed, at the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. Thanks to everyone who came out in the first week. It's a brand new show. The first two preview shows were great fun, even though 
I was still finding my way around. I thought Friday night I hit a bit of a road, a uh, bit of a speed hump, which often early in a season you need to kind of, unfortunately you kind of need to have one that doesn't really work how you want it to, to kind of work out what it is that you do want to do. And then so Saturday and Sunday were both such brilliant, fun shows. So still, you know, still putting the show together, but it's been uh, really cracking fun. So please come along and see it. I start again on Wednesday at the festival and then there's three weeks of shows. Uh, go to tofup.com, check out our other podcast. There's a new philosophy up with Dilrook. Is that the latest one? No, Richard uh, Stubbs. Uh, uh, Dilrook, Richard Stubbs, and uh, there'll be a new one this week, which I think is Carly Findlay. All right. Uh, and you can find other great podcasts oh, on there. And Reece Nicholson. AF- Sorry, Reese Nicholson this week because oh. it's Comedy Festival. Uh, that's right. Uh, we recorded Carly uh, it, before Reese, but Carly doesn't have a Comedy Festival show to plug, and Reese does. So <laughs> Reese Nicholson okay. will be this Priorities. week's philosophy. Uh, and if you're into Aussie rules, our other podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, is up and running. Uh, very depressed at the start of the season. Will and I, were, we just felt like we are going to have bad years. But both our teams are two and zip. So uh, I actually had a guy, um, I had a meeting last week uh, with a guy who didn't know I was on Two Guys, One Cup. He was talking about one of Will Anderson's football podcasts. And he just started to get into complaining about this guy on it who was always whinging about the Saints. Oh, you and I serious? had to quickly interject. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Charlie so that's Clawson. me. That's me. <laughs> like, oh, it was. I mean, it was tremendous watching him backpedal after that. <laughs> oh, he's gonna just fast forward. This guy's just whining about the Saints. It's like, yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> well, we can talk about that more on Two Guys One yes. Couple. We'll be recording that on Wednesday. All right, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Mel Anderson. <laughs>